0: Welcome to the last Sunday in Epiphanies, if you can believe it. Next week, we start the first Sunday in Lent. It won't change much in terms of the services. We're gonna keep making our way through the Gospel of John. In order to get in the Gospel of John to the crucifixion on Good Friday and the resurrection on Easter Sunday, we have to skip some chapters here and there. We, We can't do it all. So turn in your Bibles to chapter 11, of the Gospel of John. We're gonna skip forward a couple and do a story that I'm sure you have heard of. Even if this is the first time you've ever walked in a church, you have heard this. It has entered into cultural literacy the resurrection of Lazarus. So I'm gonna read from verses 1 of chapter 11 down to verses 44. So follow along with me, John chapter 11. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord's feet, on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there were trying to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daylight will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After this, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he's asleep, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days, Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you asked. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Mary answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village. He was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who'd been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, assuming that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, well, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. He's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So, really, really well-known story. And John sets up the story for us at the very beginning by telling us who this is. This is Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha. And we haven't met Mary and Martha yet in the Gospel of John. They won't actually show up. This story he talks about, her Jesus wiping Jesus' feet with the oil and the hair, that won't happen for another chapter. We've talked about how John is probably not chronological and he's 30 some odd years after the other gospels. He's probably assuming the people who've read his, reading his gospel, they know who this is. He's reminding them, hey, remember, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, you know this family. Jesus used to stop with them when he traveled back and forth. They, they put him up for the night whenever he was coming and going from Jerusalem. Like he really knows these folks. And it says in verse three, they say, Lord, the one you love is sick. You've heard me say that there's different words for love in the language John's writing in. And this is the word for friendship. It's the word for affection. He says, Jesus, the, the, the guy you like, the, the, the person that is your friend that you want to be with, he's sick. And Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. Death, it's God's glory. Verse 5, now Jesus loved, and that's agape, the word that means devotion. So, like he likes these folks. And he's devoted to these folks, we've been told. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, what's he gonna do next? The guy that, that he likes, his friend, the guy he always stays with, someone he really cares about, is sick. We've seen him heal people before. This he's oh, not going to die. This is going to be for God's glory. What are you going to read now? If you've been reading along in John, what does Jesus do? Every time somebody is sick, he heals them. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. What's up with that? Like that does not fit our story. Something has changed. And Jesus even says it. He talks to his disciples after two days. Imagine you're one of his disciples, right? He says, hey, this is happening. Lazarus is sick. It's going to be for God's glory. And I think you're assuming he's going to say, let's go. And he does nothing for two days. What are you thinking? Like if I put myself in their position, I'm thinking, well, maybe he healed him. We've seen him do that before. I mean, he doesn't have to go like wave a magic wand or anything. He can just say it and it happens. Maybe Lazarus is healed and we don't have to go down there. Or frankly, maybe he decided it's too dangerous. I mean, they were trying to kill him just a few months ago when he was there last. Maybe Jesus has decided we can't do this. It's too dangerous. They're absolutely not expecting him two days later to say, okay, now let's go. And they're like, "Um, bad idea. You know, the whole killing thing. I mean, it's been two days, bad idea. And Jesus being Jesus, of course, gives them a Jesus answer. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? You know, I need to start doing this. Normally people come to me, they, you know, it's like, hey, I'm really struggling with getting along with my mom. I know the Lord wants me to honor her, you know, and I'm trained in the classics. So I go all Socrates on you and I ask you questions and like, what do you think about this? And how do you think? What about we pray? I'm clearly not doing it right. I need to say something like, all rivers flow to the sea. (laughs) And then just walk away. And, you know, maybe you'll think I'm like a genius or maybe you'll leave the church. But, you know, he gives them, are there not 12 hours? And they must just be staring at him, right? Because then he's like, Lazarus is sleeping. We're going to wake him up. And of course, they're still taking him literally, which is normally what you do when someone talks to you. Like, if he's asleep, why would we risk dying to go? He'll get up. Don't worry, Jesus. I guarantee it. He'll wake up. So finally, he has to tell them plainly in verse 14, Lazarus is dead. And I'm really glad I wasn't there. What? You did nothing? And now you're glad you did nothing? What in the world is going on in this story? This does not sound like Jesus. This does not sound like the Jesus of the last 10 chapters who does nothing and is glad about it. So they make the trip. It probably takes them at least two days, could be longer, depends on the route they take. And we're told they arrive there and yeah, guess what? He's dead. He's been dead for days. He's four days dead in the tomb. The mourners are there, the family's there, the friends are there. They are in full swing of what will probably be a week-long memorial, a week-long grieving session. And Martha hears that Jesus is on the way and she goes out to meet him. And she says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Boy, I wish we knew the tone she said that in. You know, is it an accusation? Is she mad at him? You know, if you'd been here, right? Is is she crying while she says it? Is it grief? Is it, is she just, you know, depressed? Well, if you'd been here, we don't know. John doesn't tell us. He doesn't give us any of Martha's emotions. He just gives us what she said. And Jesus says back to her in 23, your brother will rise again. That's actually a controversial statement in this world. At this point in time, Jews are divided over whether there will be a resurrection of the dead. Some say yes, yes. God will at the end of time. God will come back, and everyone will come back to life. And others say, "No, when you're dead, you're dead." I mean that, that that's it. Like th- that's a, a a highly debated point in Judaism at this time. And Jesus obviously has taken a side on it. Yep, there's going to be a resurrection. Your brother will rise again. And Martha's like, "Yep." Yeah, I'm right there with you, Jesus, on theology. I know my brother will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Yep, there's gonna be a resurrection one day. I'll see him again. I know that. Like that's supposed to be comforting or something. And then Jesus just takes a hard left turn. I am the resurrection, I am the life. Life comes from God. It's in the story in Genesis. God makes people. He makes a man out of dirt and he breathes life into it and it comes alive. He takes part of the man and makes a woman and breathes life into it. Life comes from God. Resurrection comes from God. People throughout scripture do raise people from the dead. Elijah and Elisha both raised people from the dead. But it's done through the power of God. Nobody says, I am life. I am life from the dead. Like, he is claiming to be Jehovah. And I've told you before, people are like, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. His disciples just picked that up later. Oh, he absolutely claimed to be God all the time. When you say, I am life, I am resurrection, oh, you are claiming to be the high God, the God who created the universe and gave life to everyone. And he goes on to talk to her about believing. He says the word believe three times. Whoever believes in me will live. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks her, do you believe this? And wow, does she give a good answer. I mean, it, it doesn't come through in English because we can't translate it without adding tons and tons of words and you don't wanna do that. You don't wanna add tons and tons of words to the Bible and if they did that, what would I have to do except explain these things to you, right? It's, when she says, I believe, it's not, it's not the present, like, oh yeah, right now, I believe. She says it in a thing we don't have in English that means that happened to me in the past and it's still true. She says, yes, I believed that and I still believe it. I believed that yesterday and I believe that today. I believed that before my brother died and I believe that today after he died. And this is what she said uh, that she believes. You are the Messiah, the son of God, who is to come into the world. And we put commas around it. Because again, in English, that's three things. She doesn't put commas around it. She stacks them up. She says, I believe you are the Messiah, the son of God, Messiah, son of God's a divine term. He just claimed to be Jehovah. And she just said to him, yes, you are the Messiah. You are the divine son of God, Messiah. And then she stacks another one on top of that, who's coming into the world. That's meaning you're here. It's been prophesied throughout scripture and it's happening. You're the guy, she's saying. You're the guy we've waited for ever since Moses wrote the first scriptures 1,500 years before this. Like, that is a great answer. That's like a creed. Yes. Do you believe this? Yes. I have come to believe you you are the Messiah, and I believe you are still the Messiah. The divine answer to all of prophecy, Messiah, here, now. She gives a great answer. And then verse 28, when she had said this, she went back. Because that's what she needed. when she came out to Jesus, what she needed was to remind herself of what she believed. What she believed was true yesterday is still true today. And it's going to be true tomorrow. She needed to engage with Jesus and reaffirm for herself what is true. This is where I stand. This is what I believe. And so notice, Jesus interacts with her entirely in her head. All he does is talk to her. Their whole thing is a conversation. It's all intellectual Here's who I am. Here's what's going on. Here's the future. This is the way it works. Do you believe it? And she says, yes, every word. And then she's done. That's what she needed from Jesus. Now compare that to Mary. Because she goes back home and says, Mary, hey, the teacher's here. He's asking about you. Which incidentally he doesn't do in the passage. So maybe he, that was part of the conversation John didn't record or maybe she's lying to her sister because she knows her sister needs to go talk to Jesus. She just did. She just went out and talked with Jesus, and I think she came back feeling a lot better. Like, you need to go see him. And Mary gets up, and you notice John says, gets up quickly, rushes out to see him, comes to Jesus, says exactly the same words that her sister said. I mean, word for word, comma for comma, period, exactly the same thing. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, we have no idea how Martha said that because we never get any emotion from Martha. The whole story's all intellect. Here's what's going on. Here's what's true. Do you think this? Yes, I believe this. Mary, we know exactly how she feels about that statement because she is on the ground sobbing hysterically. What does Jesus say to Mary? We know what he said. All these things he said to Martha. What does he say to Mary? Nothing. He never says a word to Mary. The scripture says he looks, he sees Mary weeping at his feet. He sees the the mourners, the other people who have come with her thinking they were going to the tomb. They're all crying. And it says he was deeply moved. And oh, is this one of my favorite words in the Bible? It only appears a couple places, like here and, and one other. And if you look it up in the dictionary, it means to snort. It says Jesus. It's what a bull does when you wave a red flag at it. If you're ever walking along in a field and there's a bull out there and the bull snorts, get out. Because the next thing the bull's gonna do is lower his head and go. This is the sound a war horse makes right before it charges. When its rider has just kept it, pulled up the whole time. And then finally he lets it go and the horse rears up and comes down and snorts and takes off at the enemy. Jesus is angry. He is angry like like a war horse wants to go Kill those people. Like that bull wants to gore somebody. He is so furious. It says he was troubled. It literally says he troubled himself. It's not passive. The situation isn't bothering him. He's stirring himself up. And if you've read the Old Testament and you know the stories where God is furious and he rouses himself. Oh, something's gonna happen. He is angry. And he goes, again, doesn't talk to Mary. talks to the crowd. Where did you lay it? They take him to the tomb. Shortest verse in the Bible. He weeps. He looks at the tomb, all the people around him, and he weeps. He's just as grief stricken as they are. And we look at those two things. We're like, why is he mad? Why is he crying? I mean, you know, he he knows what's going to happen. He knows Lazarus is going to come back from the dead. Why is he upset? He's upset because we get upset. He's upset for the same reasons we are. We buried a friend of mine, Kevin Cowan, in December. We grieved him. We're still grieving. Am I going to see Kevin again? Oh, heck yeah. Not even a question. Is Kevin... Dead? Actually, it's more like I'm the one that's dead. Kevin is more alive now in the presence of Christ than he has ever been. Kevin is alive in a way that makes me look like a two-dimensional stick figure on a page. He is so alive and I will absolutely see him again, but I'm still angry and I'm still grieving. And Jesus says too, this is what Mary needs. Mary doesn't need an intellectual discussion on truth and belief, and here I stand. She needs Jesus to weep with her. She needs Jesus to share in her fury and her grief that her brother is dead, and he does. He enters into that with Mary. Martha's all head. And he, that's what he gives to Martha. He's, he's all head with Martha. Mary's all heart. And that's what he does with Mary. He never even says a word to her. He's all heart with Mary. He enters in to her pain because verses 36 and 37 are some of the worst in the whole Bible. The Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Because the answer to both those verses is yes. Did he love Lazarus, Mary, Martha? Yes, we're told repeatedly. He loved them. He stayed at their house. He was their friend. He was devoted to them. He loved them. Could he have stopped Lazarus from dying? Yes. Yes, he could have. We've watched him do it. He could have said the word. He's done it earlier in John. A dad comes to him, he's like, my son is sick. And Jesus says, no, he's not. Go home. the guy goes home it's a it's a it's a 24-hour journey he gets home the kid's fine they're like when do you get better 2 30 yesterday afternoon exactly when Jesus said he's fine go home could he have stopped Lazarus from dying yes he loves Lazarus and he let Lazarus die and this is one of the fundamental questions in the universe It's not just asked by us as Christians. It's asked by anybody who's religious. If there is a good, all-powerful God, then why do we suffer? If God is good, and God has the power to stop suffering, why doesn't he? And brothers and sisters, here is one of the really, really uncomfortable truths about God and the world, that it is my job to share with you, though I don't want to. A pain-free life is not on offer in Christianity. A life devoid of suffering, that is not an option if you are a Christian. It will not happen. If what you want with God is a vending machine relationship, you know, I come up to the vending machine, I want a Snickers bar. Hey, there it is. There's two things I have to do to get the Snickers bar. I gotta put the money in the slot and I gotta press D6 and then the machine gives me the Snickers bar. It's, a, it's a, a contract, it's a transaction. If that's what you want from God, you need to find another religion because that is not on offer. The God of the Bible has never been like that and he never will be like that. He will never be your vending machine. And you will have a life where you are constantly doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're coming to church, you're giving money, you're being a good person, you're helping your neighbor out, you're putting the money in the machine, you're pushing D6, it spins but the bar never drops. That's what faith will look like for you because God is not a vending machine. He will never respond to you If what you want is, okay, God, I'm going to do this, and then you're going to do this. You're going to serve me. I'm going to serve you. You're going to serve me. It's all going to work out. I'm going to do my part. You're going to do your part. That's not on offer. Brothers and sisters, you will not have a suffering, pain-free life if you are a Christian. Quite the opposite. You are guaranteed suffering. I mean, this passage doesn't say it, but many other do. Paul will tell Timothy flat out, anybody who wants to live and follow God will suffer for it. If you are a Christian, you will suffer all the same things that the world suffers. And also you will suffer because you follow him. And that is a reality, a truth of the universe. If you're not okay with that, there are other religions that offer a pain-free life. Now, spoiler alert, it doesn't work. (laughs) Those people are just pain. If there was a religion where everyone's life was pain-free, we would all be following it. It doesn't work for them either, but they offer it. Buddhism offers a pain-free life. If you are suffering as a Buddhist, it is because you have not disciplined yourself to stop caring about things. My pastor back in Singapore, had been raised Buddhist. And every day, his father would have him sit down and have him close his eyes and have him be aware. said, be aware of the world. Now push it away. Be aware of the world. Push it away. If you suffer as a Buddhist, it's because you have not disciplined your mind. You don't understand that all of this is an illusion and you shouldn't care. When you stop caring, you'll stop suffering. If you're suffering in Buddhism, it's your fault. There are religions that offer you a suffering-free life. Again, they don't work, but it's not even on offer for us as believers. You will suffer if you are a follower of Christ because as Jesus said back in verse four, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Yes, Jesus loves you more than life. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, he will let you suffer. Absolutely. It serves his purposes. It brings him glory. A life free from suffering is not on offer. It's not on offer in this church. It's not on offer anywhere in Bible believing Christianity. It's not there. Okay, there are guys who will tell you it is. They are lying to you. Some of them are lying to you because they just don't know. And some of them are lying to you because they want something from you. But a suffering-free life is not on offer in the Christianity. You won't get it. Suffering is part of what God does. It brings him glory. It's part of his purposes. So what is on offer? If you can't have a suffering-free life, what do you get? Well, this part's not in this passage, but I would be remiss not to tell you, you have a suffering-free next life. You don't get a a suffering-free this life. But the scriptures say the day will come when Jesus will return and set everything right. And from then on out, there'll be no suffering. But again, it's not a vending machine. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to put money in the machine. You don't gotta choose. You don't gotta decide. He's gonna do it. It's just gonna happen. You just have, you're just along for the ride. You will not have a suffering free this life, but you will have a suffering free next life. And that life goes on forever. That is coming. It not only is on the table as an offer, it's going to happen. You can't stop it. But in this passage, I see two things that are on offer. That they're, they're on the table. A suffering-free life, not on the table. Can't pick it up, not an option. I see two things in this passage that are there if you want to pick them up. The first one is how Jesus responds to these two women. If you are willing to go to him with your suffering, then he will meet you there. If what you need is head, he'll give you a head. If what you need is heart, he'll give you heart. If what you need, frankly, which sometimes I do, is a good swift kick in the pants, that's what he'll give you. Again, it's not a vending machine. If you go to him thinking you need sympathy, that doesn't mean you're going to get sympathy. That may not be what you need. In the book of Job, Job is suffering horribly. And what he says he needs is to argue with God. He says to God, come down, let's have a trial. I will explain my innocence and you will explain what you are doing and we'll have it judged. That's what Job thinks he needs. When God comes down, he never even lets Job talk. It's not a trial. It's not a dialogue. God comes down. He shows up in a hurricane and he shows up in power. And he says to Job things like, Job, I'll make you a deal. If you can explain the easy things like creation then we'll talk about the hard things like justice. I mean, he just runs over Job for chapters and then says to Job, okay, now it's your turn, right? Because that's what Job said. I need a trial. I need to present myself. If only God, if only I could get you down here, God, then I could prove to you what's going on. God lays it all out, says to Job, your turn. And Job says, and this is a direct quote, I'm just going to shut my mouth. I, I, that's it. I mean, God shows up. That is what Job needed. Job didn't need to have a trial with God. Job needed God to show up in power. Job needed to have God say to him, there are things going on in this world you cannot understand. You have to trust me that I know what I am doing. That's what Job needed. And that's what he got because Job continually goes to God. His friends continually talk about God. Job continually talks to God. If you are willing Just like Mary and Martha, if you're willing to go out and meet Jesus in your pain, he will meet with you. He will give you what you need. It may not be what you want, but it will absolutely be what you need. That's the first thing I see that's on offer. You don't have to. Mary could have stayed in the house. Martha could have stayed in the house. They didn't have to go out. Jesus didn't make them come out to him, but they did, and it was good. The second thing I see on offer in this passage is the very end. We haven't talked about it yet. Jesus comes, he's snorting again. He says, move that stone. And Martha, you know, the logical one who's all heads, kind of like, ah, cause and effect, Lord. Four days, smelly. Don't do that. And look what Jesus says to her in verse 40. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Now, let me ask you, does Martha's belief have anything to do with Lazarus coming back from the dead? Does she need to believe it? Is this the end of Peter Pan? Remember that? Tinkerbell's hurt. Peter Peter Pan turns to the audience. He's like, come on, you gotta believe. And we all have to chant, I do believe in fairies. I do believe in fairies. And then our belief makes Tinkerbell well. Does Jesus say to Martha, come on, Martha, let's get some belief here so I can raise your brother. He said he was gonna raise his brother back in verse 14. Days ago, before he ever left Galilee, he said... I am going, Lazarus is asleep. I'm going to wake him up. Like that's going to happen. He is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But Jesus said to Martha, if you will trust me, you will see the glory of God. Because you always have that option in your suffering. You always have the option of how you view it. What you do with it. Look what happens afterwards. We didn't read these. Let's read 45 and 46. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Jesus uses Lazarus' suffering and death. His sister's suffering in burying him and being all that for four more days. He takes all of that and he saves people. He takes people out of darkness into the kingdom of light. You are going to meet people. And that day when Jesus sets all things right, you will meet people who watched Jesus call Lazarus out from the grave. And that's why they're in God's kingdom. Because they thought what Martha thought. Oh my gosh, this is him. Nobody else can do this, but God, this is the guy. Jesus used all of that pain to do exactly what he said he was gonna do all the way back at the beginning in verse four. This sickness is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And that is exactly what happens. But look at the very next verse, verse 46. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. You see, some people see it and see God and respond. And some people see it and see a threat. And if you keep reading, they've, they, they're like, we gotta stop this. We can't let this guy keep doing miracles like this. Everybody's gonna follow him. He's gonna start an insurrection. The Romans are gonna come. The whole city's gonna be wiped out. Some people saw what Jesus did. Lazarus suffering, Mary and Martha suffering, Lazarus resurrection, and they said, this is God. And some people saw exactly the same thing and said, this is dangerous. We need to kill this. You always have that choice. When you suffer, you always have the choice of how are you going to view it? Are you going to view it in the, this is, this is awful, we need to get rid of this? Or are you going to view it as Jesus says, if you will trust me, you will see God's glory. I think that too is on offer for us. That if we will trust him, then he will use it for our glory. There is no promise of a pain-free life. In fact, there is a promise of suffering in this life, but there is also a promise that God brings good out of everything. The most horrible, terrible, awful things, he says, I will redeem that. I will use that. That will bring me glory. And he's gonna do that, like Lazarus. He's gonna do that anyway. Jesus is gonna bring Lazarus back. That's a done deal. It's how you view it. Martha. Martha, if you trust me, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. But that's a choice we make. Every time we suffer, that is a choice we have to make. Do we view it as the all-powerful, sovereign Lord of the universe who loves me more than life? He still has holes in his hands in eternity from hanging on a cross to save me the all-powerful Lord of life, who loves me more than life, let this happen. And if I will let it, he will bring glory out of it. That, brothers and sisters, that is on offer. You can go to him in your suffering and he will meet you. You can view it as something that he is going to make glory out of. And frankly, you probably won't see it in this life but you will see it. So we're going to end, as we always do, by taking communion, but we're going to do it a little differently in light of this passage. So I'm going to pray over us, as I always do. When I finish praying, I'm going to pray for God's Spirit to speak to us. I'm going to pray over the elements. When I finish praying, go and get the bread and the cup. There's the The two here, the one there, there's one in the back. Choose whichever one you like. If you would rather not be in the line, there's uh, individuals there in the back by the door. But we're not gonna take it together. Get the bread, get the cup, take it back to your seat, and then you talk to God. Because when you take that bread and take that cup, you either need to tell God, I'm in. Yep, I get it. You will use me for your glory if it suits your purposes to redeem this world then use me use my suffering because Jesus has to die to save us it's not like he's asking us to do anything he hasn't already done you take the bread you take the cup either say to god i get it i un- maybe you didn't know this before but now you do <laughs> i'm in or say to god can't do this like I'm not ready for this 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 is too much too soon so change me because you're still saved you're still a Christian again it's not a vending machine you don't got to do anything Jesus saves us full stop if you said please he said done take the bread and take the cup those reminders of how much he loves you and tell God wow I can't do this like, I'm, I'm not there yet. Change me. Help me. Help me to stop treating you like a vending machine. Help me to stop treating you as if you were my servant. Folks, we're the vending machines. God comes along and says to us, do this, and we do it. If, you, if you're not ready, tell the Lord that. Like, wow, I, I, I'm not ready for this. You gotta help me. Because he'll meet you. He always does. He'll meet you where you are. He'll meet you with what you need. Let's pray. Lord, boy, uh, <laughs> not my favorite passage in the Bible, Lord God. Um, I like the ones about you know you conquering death and giving us peace and all things and um, yeah you you bring good out of everything. I don't like the ones that remind me that you allow suffering. You said it was a good thing that Lazarus died, that his sisters mourned. It it suited your purposes, and there are people in your kingdom now that you used that suffering to save them. I confess, Jesus, that's hard. But we also say, Lord, that we're yours. You're not our jukebox. We don't come to you and tell you what to play. We're your jukebox. You come to us and tell us what to play. Lord, we're yours. I pray for my brothers and my sisters now as we take the elements, as each of us takes it alone, talking to you personally. Lord, give us courage. Give us courage to say we're in. If we can't do that, then meet, meet us in our pain. Meet us in our concerns and our worries. Change us. Change us so that we become people like this so, so we can say what Martha said. Yes, yes. I believed that yesterday. I believe that today. I'll believe that tomorrow. I believe that before my brother died. And I believe that even after he died. I believe it. Lord, I pray for us. Use this time. Use these songs as we sing again afterwards. Use our prayers. Holy Spirit, be at work in us. We want to be like you. But Jesus, you are human. You know this is hard you know it is hard for us to relinquish completely control of our lives and say to you, yes, if it suits your purpose that I suffer, then yes, I will suffer. If it suits your purposes to allow these things to happen, then yes, allow them. If it brings you glory, yes. Lord, give us courage. Make us like you. We pray in your name. Amen.